for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, As we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour, I continue my conversation with a uh, Democrat running in the primary for the uh, seat in the Michigan House of Representatives from the 48th District, Andalib Odalate. Andalib, welcome back. Am I saying your name okay? Yes. Good, good. Um, you mentioned uh, having a website in the uh, in the last segment that has, uh, you said, has some of your uh, position um, statements and so on on it, and we'll get to letting people know uh, where they can go to that before we wrap up here. But um, I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the issues that are going on in Lansing, especially as we uh, begin to transition um, back to w- what some people are saying is going to be a new normal. Um, there are a lot of budget concerns. Um, have you had a chance to look at that and consider what your thoughts are on uh, on, on the the possible deficits we could be facing because of financial support for people that have been struggling through this pandemic? I haven't seen the, like, exact numbers, but I think there's definitely um, places in the budget that could be reduced to sort of help with the, with lowering the deficit. What are, you know, you mentioned infrastructure, and of course we're still not where we expected to be, uh, uh, by this time, a couple of years ago, when uh, Governor Whitmer promised she was going to fix the damn roads, and and now we uh, know we've got some serious dams to to rebuild in Mid Michigan, and and there are other infrastructure things. Um, do you think there's enough fat in the budget to do the things that we need to do to fix roads, to fix bridges and dams and other infrastructure things? Or are you talking about other kinds of infrastructure like schools and 
there's enough money to fix the roads and the dams and stuff. It's just, where are we prioritizing the money? What do you like think? Done, what do you think we can we can let go of? I remember having conversations like this with uh, Jennifer Granholm when she was governor, and she used to always say, "Well, we've already got all the low hanging fruit, which means there's nothing left to cut that isn't going to be painful." But what do you think some of the things are? Is there low hanging fruit, or are there things that might be painful to some, but we can live without? We should. Definitely take big cuts to police departments. They don't need an inflated budget. We can cut back on the military equipment that they get and really use the money that's going in to the police departments for things like infrastructure and schools and other things that are actually important to the community instead of just beefing up what already feels like to many as an occupation force. And and a lot of people are saying in, in the wake of calls for defunding the police, a lot of people are defining that as pull some of the resources away from police, like the things that, that, you described the militarizing of the police with armored vehicles and that kind of equipment um, and, and redirecting that money into things like homelessness, mental health, uh, drug dependence, and, and so on, rather than putting those people through the criminal justice system and having them end up in jail. Uh, maybe we should have some some programs that are addressing those issues and stop sending police to those things, but send experts in that field. Um, is is that something that you're supportive of? Yeah, I support that 100%. I think we need to focus less on criminalization and more on mental health and really getting down to the issues of why people commit crimes. People commit crimes because they don't see any other way in life. Like if you're homeless or if you have mental health and it's not being addressed, then people lead, that leads people to doing criminal activity when it's shown that when you raise the standard of living, crime drops. When you um, told friends and family that you were going to be running for the state house of representatives, how did they react? Did anybody try to talk you out of it, or were they supportive? They, think they were you supportive. Were, they didn't think you were crazy. Nope. <laughs> I I always ask people, especially uh, first time candidates, if you know if if they went a little crazy or something. Um, but is is government something that you've paid a lot of attention to and, and you just now find yourself in the position that you feel like you have to roll up your sleeves and do something yourself? Yeah, I've been following the news and government for about well, eight, between eight to ten years and I just feel like nothing's getting done, so I might as well try and run and see if I can get things moving. Um, and do you, have you always considered yourself a Democrat? 
I'd say I consider myself a Democrat more than I consider myself a Republican in that of the two viable parties, I lean most towards Democrat, but I still think the Democratic Party is far too corporate and far too to the far too much to the right than where it needs to be. Did you consider at all um, other parties? You you referred to the two I call them big box parties. You just called them viable parties. Um, did did any of the third parties? Uh, come across your radar did you consider uh an independent or third party run i didn't consider those because what's important to me is being able to get in so that i can do things like for example electoral reform one of the big things i want to do is i want to get rid of first past the post i either there's two um types of elections that I want to try to get to replace first past the post, either ranked choice voting where people could choose, could write down their preferences on the ballot, removing the need for strategic voting or making the house of representatives in the state proportional, which would mean that you vote for a party and the percentage of the votes that party gets is the percentage of the seats that party gets. Because until we get rid of first past the post, we're going to be stuck in this duopoly of power. Uh, and that, that sounds a little bit more to me like, uh, like the way they do it in the U.K. or in Canada. It's Canada and the U.K. both use rank, uh, first past the post. The countries that use um, proportional voting are mostly the mid-countries in Europe. And it's shown that those countries are very stable and very well off. How, do you, um, how would you be able to impact that as, as a lone uh, state representative? By proposing legislation, and if the legislation doesn't get the support it needs, then bringing it to the people and garnering support for them to get signatures, to get it on the ballot as a referendum, to try to change the Constitution that way. Because if the representatives won't change it because they're worried about keeping their seats, then bring it to the people. Because I believe there is wide-ranging support for changing the system. Well, I think there is, but but a lot of times it's it's a, a double-edged sword on the leap. Uh, people want change, but then they turn around and fear change, and they're they're not always likely to um, support change when it's offered to them. People fear change because politicians fear monger about all the things that could go wrong. Any uh, politician telling any politician telling anyone that moving away from first past the post will have unintended consequences is a politician that is thinking of their own self-interest and not the interest of the people. What are your three top issues, or, or maybe it's one top issue that, that sort of sealed the deal for you and made you decide, I'm, I'm going to go to Lansing 
to work on this. I'm going to do what I can to get a seat in the house. Number one is gun control, gun safety, and there's just too many guns, and it's too easy to access. Some of the things that I would like to propose is an assault weapons ban, not allowing minors access to weapons, requiring both background checks and mental health checks, and other such um, things to make it harder for people that either are a threat to themselves or a threat to others from obtaining a firearm. So you're not likely to get an NRA endorsement? Nope. <laughs> and I don't want one. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding about that, Andalib. Oh, um, I know. But that's, but that's, but, clear. but that's a big, uh, that's a big issue. Um, are there a couple others that, that rank in there as second and third? Education would be second. What I want, and what I'm going to try to fight for in education is school choice allowing, if parents can take their kids, have the means to get their kids to a different school, they shouldn't be stuck in a zip code. Changing funding from local-based to a statewide property tax so that it's split evenly based on population because kids shouldn't have less of an opportunity for learning and a head start in life just because of where they live. Well, Andalib, we're going to have to end it there because I'm just about out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let people know where they can find out about more about you and your positions and your campaign, etc. Um, and you mentioned earlier uh, that, that you have a website. What is the website, Andalib? The website is <clears throat> Sasuke, S-A-S-U-K-E, Warrior97, dot wix site dot com slash andalib odulate a n d a l i b o d u l a t e twenty twenty okay and will would people be able to just put your name andalib odulate in uh, in a browser and and find that website um Well, Andalib, I appreciate you spending uh, time with me this morning and giving people an opportunity to get to know you a little bit. Um, thanks so much, and best of luck to you. All right, thank you. All right, take care. All right, bye. Bye. That was um, Andalib uh, Odalate. He is a Democrat running against incumbent Cheryl Kennedy, who holds the 48th district seat in the state House of Representatives. And we'll hear from the incumbent, Cheryl Kennedy, coming up next. And then a little further out uh, in the program this morning, we'll talk to the two Republicans, Sherry Cross and David Martin, who are uh, uh, running in this uh, upcoming primary. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand-new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But while you would possibly never even consider counting how many pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. The only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on a bu- on the bus, all 65 of them with their instruments and everything, and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slack. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for Ford. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. Standing on the corner, giving all the Fords the Thunderbird's kissing cousin. Get in a Ford. Give Ford a try. So don't be standing on the corner. Watching all the Fords. Watching all the Fords. Be the guy who's going by. 
This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my uh, guest uh, this segment is um, the state representative for the 48th district uh, seat in the uh, Michigan House of Representatives, and she's running for re-election. Cheryl Kennedy is her name. She's been on the show several times, but it's great to have her back. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's always a joy to be here. You know, when uh, in these days of, um, you know, people people saying uh, they want change and and there's there's kind of an anti-incumbency mood in voters when you're running for re-election how how do you make your case do you base it on what you've done what you're in the middle of doing or what you plan to do how how does that work for you yeah so i think that it's actually easier for me to run this time and make that case because i've been able to um demonstrate actual, you know, I kind of have receipts now. Before, it was more of a message of trust me. I've been a leader in education. I'm going to work for you, but you have to trust me. And now I can say, same thing, trust me. I've been a leader in education, um, but I can also point to um, a lot of work that I've done on behalf of education, on behalf of labor, on behalf of, you know, getting folks um, stackable credentials, through um, last dollar covering coverage of uh, you know community college, I can talk to the 1.1 billion dollar or million dollar um, grant that I got from Eagle to cap a PFAS site in my district and and um, help protect groundwater. And so I don't feel you know. And of course, I've always I've always been a person that values relationships first. And so, um, you know, when I was a principal, it was that way. And and as a state representative, um, what's most important is that people know me and they they know that I'm there for them. And I don't care who they voted for for president. That's not my job. My job is to make sure that, you know, if you're struggling connecting to unemployment insurance, my office is there to get you your, you know, help you get your unemployment insurance. If you need to get connected to a PPP loan, um, you know, we're there for you. If if you need to know what grants are available available because you're a small business and you're struggling, we're there for you. So I feel like this time it's actually a little bit easier because I can point to those things and say, and I'm still going to be here for you, and I'm still going to, you know, work just as hard. And people don't have to trust me as much. They can they can kind of base it on on relationships that I've built over the last two years. Is is campaigning a little tougher in this uh, era of COVID nineteen? Um, yeah, I really wish that I could be knocking on doors right now. I love that <laughs> part of campaigning. I really, really do. I like being able to just knock on somebody's door and have a conversation face to face. And but um, you know, we've been doing as much as we can by reaching out um, on the phone and and um, you know, even before campaign season, when we were in the depths of COVID, I was just calling my seniors. And in my district, senior citizens, I reached out to over 2,000, you know, senior citizens um, just saying, hey, how are you doing? Do you need anything? Are you safe? Do you have food, you know? 
Um, and so, you know, we're, we're just making phone calls in the way we used to knock doors and, again, trying to build relationships and, and make sure that people have what they need. So it's definitely different, but um, it's, you know, we just adjust. Is, is there a, a theme to this year's uh, election? This is a presidential election year. And uh, when you ran the last time, of course, there were um, lots of women running for offices, especially in some of the top jobs at the state level. Um, mm-hmm. is, is there a, a trend or a theme that's running through this election cycle? You know, not in the way that I think we saw the, we called it the blue slash pink wave, you know, um, in in 2018. But, I mean, I think that's more typical for midterm elections. Um, People, you know, midterm elections are usually uh, a commentary about the first two years of a presidential election or of a presidential term. And I think ours was, you know, similar to that. Barack Obama went through the same thing. after his, his first two years of his uh, term. So I don't think it's as obvious as it was right now, but I'll tell you what I'm finding when you talk to people is they're really tired of divisive rhetoric. They, I've had a number of, um, you know, folks who traditionally vote Republican um, who've said to me, you know what, you helped my brother-in-law get unemployment insurance when no one else would talk to him and, um, you don't bash people on Facebook. You don't, you don't, you know, participate in that kind of name calling. And, and they really appreciate that I, that I try, you know, obviously it's an election. I'm going to put my, my challenges out there. I'm going to put out there, you know, what I believe and my values so people know who they're voting for. But, and I'll compare those to my opponents, but, um, I don't get into the divisive, hurtful, negative, doesn't make anybody feel good (laughs) rhetoric i just try to keep it to the issues and i think that there's a good response to that people are just kind of tired of the mean-spiritedness and um they want people that are actually gonna you know they're hiring me when they're voting for me they're hiring me to do a job and they want somebody that's actually going to show up for work and do that job and And call them back if they need it (laughs) you know that's the thing like wow somebody actually calls me back and i can talk to a real person so it, it's funny how how um, how big a deal a simple thing like calling somebody, returning a call, can be to people. Yeah, it's and and you know our staff, my staff in my office. I mean, I can't say enough about the my office staff and my interns. Um, and you know, I can never do this on my own. I'm still legislating. I'm still, you know, there's a whole, there's the legislative side of my work and then there's the constituent services side. And my staff has just been, and and it's been emotional for them. I mean, they have had day, well, we're going on months now of people in desperate, desperate situations calling and saying, you know, you've got to help me. And what I just kept reminding them through the whole and continue to remind them, um, they're still working from home, is that you are you are a human being, and these people have been struggling. They've been in the horrendous um, technology loop of UIA that just is feels so uncaring and not human. It's just, you know, you feel like you're trapped. And I said, you are the first human voice that they actually get to talk to. And, and 
and and the value of that, even if, though they're upset, even though they're you know crying or angry or whatever whatever emotion my staff has been hearing, um, it's so valuable just to be able to talk to a human being. What does the you mentioned a, a moment ago, Cheryl, that the um, the constituents, the voters in your district are are actually hiring you or rehiring you in this case. Um, what does the job description look like going into the new term? Um, so going in the new term, we have a huge responsibility, and, and I've been tasked um, because of my background in, le- in uh, ed- education and ed- leadership um, to make sure that we're, we're trying to keep businesses open as safely as possible. We're trying to get kids back in school as safely as possible and protect our teachers and our students and, and their grandparents if they go visit on the weekend. Um, and, and so we've, you know, my background is not in medicine. It's not in public health, but we've had to really learn about best practices and what research says about, um, you know, epidemiology. Um, and I think that there won't be a thing that we address um, legislatively that isn't touched by COVID in some way. Uh, last week, we, we passed our supplemental, which was the CARES dollars money that came from the federal government. And making sure that, that we have transparency with those CARES Act dollars, making sure that those CARES Act dollars are going to the, the people that most need them, that they're going to protect our frontline workers. Um, it's just it's, it's a huge responsibility, and I'm on the, the um, governor's Return to Learn task force, and when I'm um, finished with this phone call, I'm going to be on a Zoom meeting for the rest of the day with really great thinkers, um, folks who have expertise in public health, expertise in education, expertise in, in um, systems and operations to can, um, come out with the, um, the framework for how schools are going to reopen, and that framework's coming out June 30th. So we're, you know, we're we've only we've been working for a few weeks on this. So it's I, there won't be anything that we do that we have we can't um, we have to be thinking about it in terms of COVID and and probably until the end of 2021. So um, you know, legislatively, that's going to be the job description. Um, and then the other half of my job is kind of social worker, and that's the constituent services side that I was speaking to earlier. And we have people that, you know, are, are just barely hanging on to their business. Um, we have people that applied for unemployment in March and still haven't received one check. We had people that received two checks, and then because of the fraud, they had their checks stop payment. And then they're back into that, that robotic system um, that based on algorithm, algorithmic decision-making, you know. And so we thought once we got through March and April that the unemployment issues would die down a little bit, but they have consistently um, taken most of our constituent services time. And it's, so, it's just important. We need to make sure people aren't being evicted. We need to make sure that people um, have food and, and access to health care and um, all those things to get them until they can get back to work and, and start making a paycheck again. So um, we're doing better with that. I mean, more and more people are going back to work, but 
um, a lot of people are in a lot of debt because they have not received the benefits that were promised to them. And it's just because um, we had, you know, in one week we served the same number of people seeking unemployment insurance, unemployment insurance that we served in the entire last year all in one week. And our technology wasn't ready for that. Our infrastructure wasn't ready for that. We've quadrupled the number of staff at UIA. Part of the CARES Act dollars was to hire another 500 people at UIA, but they still have to be trained. So, um, you know, uh, it's it's kind of um, both and legislatively and then constituent services-wise, we've Um, that's going to be the way it is until we have a vaccine. Are the coffers ready for that kind of assistance? Well, that's why we need the federal government. You know, we've got the HEROES Act that passed the um, House in in D.C., and um, now it's, you know, gone to the Senate. Um, We're waiting for the Senate. The Senate said that they're rejecting the HEROES Act. Okay, then tell us what you can do, right? If the HEROES Act passed by Democratic leadership in the House isn't your cup of tea, then please tell us what you're going to do or what makes sense to you so we can negotiate. Because at the end of the day, um, if we don't get federal dollars to backfill or, you know, lack in revenue um, because nobody's been buying anything, we don't have sales tax, um, people haven't been able to to, um, make money. They've been laid off, so they're not contributing to um, income tax. I mean, we have a huge um, short-term revenue uh, issue here, and we need, and, and we're not the only state. I mean, every state is in the same situation. So we need the Senate to step up and give us their plan so that we can start negotiating and start getting some assistance to our state so that we continue can continue our government services like police and fire and schools um, without absolutely devastating all of the safeguards um, that we just, you know, we take for granted. Is it fairly certain now that schools are opening in the fall? Yeah, the, gover- the, the governor said last week that, you know, schools will be open face-to-face. And um, the question is, how do we do that? Depending on the phases that we're in, you know, um, COVID is going gonna, is gonna to wax and wane. You know, and COVID is, right now we're in a great place with COVID in the state of Michigan. I do believe that that's because our governor made some really difficult decisions that were unpopular um, with a lot of people early on, but um, we're having the benefit of that now that we're able to more easily enjoy our summer mask and social distance. Um, businesses are able to open. I'm getting my hair done for the first time today, you know, tonight. Um, I'm so excited. I got but, a haircut um, a week ago, Cheryl, and I was <laughs> and I was thrilled. I felt like I'd lost weight. <laughs> Yeah, I call my husband. My husband has got this Kenny Rogers thing going right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, you know, um, I just, I, so our, our hope is if, if people continue to just use those common sense measures that we know work, we know that wearing a mask, if everyone wears a mask, it, it drops the chances of you catching COVID infinitesimally. You know, if you wear a mask, you're protecting someone else. If both of you are wearing a mask, the chances of, of spreading COVID is, is much less. We're learning that, you know, COVID is less about um, less about touching things and more about airborne and talking in close proximity. Um, so it's about how do we do that safely. And, and right now with our numbers in Michigan, we feel like there will be some kind of face-to-face. But 
does that mean a full classroom? Does that mean a half a classroom? Those are the things that the, you know, return to learn task force is working out. And of course, if we go back to a peak where, where we see COVID um, cases rising in a region or a district or a, a county, that region or county or district may have to pull back. And um, the, the governor's word she likes to use are be nimble um, and maybe switch to an online learning um, which would be very different than last summer's, which was just kind of thrown, or last year's, which was just kind of thrown together. This will, we'll have time to plan um, for this um, and, and be a little more intentional about making sure kids are, are maintaining regular daily um, lessons. And, and so, you know, what, what the, the, the question is, at what point do we pull back and, and go to online learning for a couple of weeks until COVID numbers can come down and then go back to school? Um, do we give parents an option so that they can just opt for online learning all year if they're uncomfortable? Do we give teachers that option who maybe have health issues that they need to, you know, they're on, they're at high risk. Um, so, you know, can we give teachers an option of teaching those online classes? So, um, there's, it's, it's going to be, um, you know, a very fluid, uh, situation, but we're trying to make it as, as reasonable and real, and, um, you know, we don't want to give a bunch of guidelines that no one can follow. So we're we're trying to make it as realistic as we can, and and so that that parents and schools know how to plan. It may be too early to ask this, but do you think widespread testing will be part of uh, the experience when schools open in the fall? Yeah, I don't know. You know, um, we're working through the the guidelines, kind of chapter by chapter, as a team, and. Um, so, you know, that's part of those operations questions that we're still working on. So, you know, the questions are about testing, um, temperature taking, and, and what that would look like, you know, in a school setting. Does that put people more at risk because they have to congregate while they're waiting to get their temperature taken? Um, there's just a lot of those questions that those are the things we're working through. And um, I, I mentioned that when we first started talking, Cheryl, that this is a, a strange time to be doing a campaign. It's a strange time for voters, too, because we have the changed mm-hmm. Michigan law that allows for more uh, absentee voting without cause. You know, anybody can vote by mail oh. and are being encouraged, actually, to vote by mail. We saw in the May mm-hmm. election that actually brought out more voters in the areas that that had voting. Um, right. Do you think that's um, generally in Michigan, better voter turnout works well for Democrats? Um, do you think that's something that's uh, going to be the case? Do you, do you think there's going to be more turnout um, as a result of mail-in voting uh, coming up for the primary in August? And then again, um, will we be doing the same thing in November? Yeah, I think there's going to be so many um, contributing factors to voter turnout, and they're all up to the positive. Um, and I don't mean that as a Democrat. I mean that as in regards to our democracy. I mean that, you know, as, as far as participation in the democratic process. So I think that, you know, obviously being able to um, fill out an absentee ballot at home and either put it in the mail or, or drive it up to the drop box at your clerk's office, um, I think that that makes people, um, it's easier to vote because you can do it on your time and think through your candidates and, and you don't have to, you know, worry about being late for work and those kinds of things. 
So, I mean, that's just good for the democratic process. We also have um, straight ticket voting again, you know, um, which um, I know a lot of people say benefit the Democrats, but I, I argue that it depends on your district. In my district, you know, Trump won our district by 3,000 votes last time. So if um, those Trump voters didn't turn out in 2018, but they'd show up now um, and they vote straight ticket, well, that doesn't benefit the Democrats in my district. So um, I think that there's just, and, and people are super motivated, you know, this has been, um, it's been a very divisive um, voting season going all the way back to, you know, 2016. So um, there are very few undecided voters out there. Usually those are the folks we're, we're fighting for, right, is to find those people that haven't figured out who they're voting for yet. But um, I think most people generally align one way or the other, and um so to for for my campaign, it's about getting people out to vote. Um, persuading voters is important, and we have those conversations on the phone. But um, it is going to be about voter turnout. And, you know, what we saw in 2016 was there were a lot of people that came out and voted for our president who'd never voted before. Um, and that's why the polling data was so off. And, and those are the things that, you know, can happen again. And they can happen on the Democratic side, too. We've got a whole generation of young voters who can vote in uh, 2020 who weren't eligible to vote before. And, and they're motiv very motivated. So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting um, if I weren't if if I weren't actually running and so emotionally invested in the process, it would be I'd love to be a pontiff and just be able to call the horse race because it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> very, very interesting and, you know, fascinating to watch how all of those different elements play into whatever the outcome. Yeah, um, it's it's up. getting harder for pundits to uh, predict these uh, these kinds of outcomes. Cheryl, we're, we're just about out of time, but I, as you know, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, about you, about mm -hmm. your reelection bid and so on. Um, do you have a preferred uh, website that you'd like to uh, offer up? Sure. So um, you can go to my website, which is easy to remember. It's www.electcheryl, and that's Cheryl with an S, S-H-E-R-Y-L, Kennedy, like the president. So www.electcherylkennedy.com. And from there, you can find all of my Facebook and Twitter and Instagram links. And uh, you can read about the policy that... Um, I've, you know, been working on, that's why I ran, and uh, what I've been working on the last two years, you can see my endorsements. I'm highly endorsed by labor and education and and um, folks who care about um, care about our water and, and um, you know, our, our climate. So I encourage you to go there, and, and if you haven't made up your mind, um, it's a great place to start. And then follow me on Facebook, because I'm on Facebook all day long, and you can Reach out and ask me a person, you know, just reach out and ask me a question. I will always answer, always answer. If you ask me a question, um, a private message me. Uh, it's a great way to, you know, if you want clarification on an issue, I'm more than happy to tell you where I stand. Well, Cheryl, thanks so much. It was great talking with you again, and uh, best of luck. Thank you so much, Tom, and enjoy your day. Stay safe. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was uh, Cheryl Kennedy. She is the 48th District State Representative. We'll hear from the Republicans coming up next. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. 
Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman study sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman's sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name this was This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our look at the 48th District uh, primary for the 48th District uh, seat in the Michigan uh, House of Representatives. And uh, now we turn to the Republicans. And joining me now by phone is Sherry Cross. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Um, Sherry, this is not the first time that you've... uh, run for uh, political office, but it is the first time you've run during a pandemic. How is it different? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> How is it different? Oh, my God. It's going well. I mean, you can't knock on doors, right? I could make new doors. I could even make a new window through the roof, you know, through the ceiling. But, no, basically what I focused on doing is still staying in communication through social media, um, with the voters in, you know, in the 48th district, laying out what some of my ideas are and just wanting to get feedback, knowing that I can't go and meet up with the seniors or wherever. Like, we, because we had a lot of plans and, and everything got scrubbed. And our final event that we had to move from uh, May to June is actually next, uh, next Sunday at Captain's Quarters. We're going to have the Trump Unity Bridge there with Ron, Ron uh, Cordes and Earl Lackey will be there. But that's providing we don't get shut down again. But it's basically focusing on a lot of emails and a lot of social media. And, and Sherry, you mentioned, uh, mentioned Trump. Some Republicans are, are running, because this is a presidential uh, campaign year, are are running very closely to the president, and some Republicans are kind of moving away from him. I, I, I sense that you're uh, um, running alongside the president. Well, look, I support Trump. However, I mean, there's some things that he has said, mostly some of the things he says, because it's like it reminds me that a lot of times I would speak first before thinking, <laughs> and now it kind of makes me be more aware to think first before I say something because I, you know, I'm, I, I I don't support 100% everything that he has said. I like a lot of things that he's done, but I, I do support him as opposed to the other situation. I don't want our taxes raised. You know, everything was going good till the, the pandemic. pandemic. And the pandemic itself and, and the reaction to it, um, especially here in Michigan, has become a very politically divided situation. Republicans uh, thinking that the governor overstepped her uh, boundaries mm-hmm. and and has uh, uh, exceeded her authority. Democrats thinking that, um, you know, tend to be very supportive and, and think that... Uh, that that she's doing things just about right. Do you think that she overreacted to the uh, seriousness of this pandemic? Uh, yeah, and I could back all of that up if you're, anyone's on my Facebook page. They, yeah, I could back that up with, yeah, I, I'm very negative about how long she's had to shut down and some of the things I consider to be unreasonable was just absolutely ridiculous, especially about the voting issue. Being able to go out on the lake in your own boat in front of your own property 
or I like where there's nobody around and how many people you can have in it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with being told that you, you need to wear a mask and even rubber gloves when you go out in public. I got no problem with that. But, you know, if I had a summer home up north or if I, you know, if I just want to go on a, you know, a weekend escape, I don't want to be told that I can't do that because I want to go and maybe go get a cabin on the lake and go out on a boat. It's ridiculous. So, yeah. And what about the um, issues that the uh, that the new legislature will face next year after the election um, with regard to the costs of being shut down, oh. reduced revenue for the state, and um, you know huge promises uh, in support for people who've been knocked out of work because of uh, stay-at-home orders? Um, what do you think is going to happen with the, the state's budgeting going forward? Well, you know darn well that the first thing they're going to want to do is they're going to want to raise taxes and add taxes where there wasn't any taxes because that's probably the only way that they would be able to bail the state out. Everything would have to be taxed. I mean, they would start taxing the air you breathe because, of, I mean, this is going to take a long time for Michigan to recover and, you know, there's a lot of jobs that are not going to come back. There are people who maybe only had what skill for a certain job and don't have skills for something else. I mean, it's just like these people's lives were just one minute was going good and everything's fine, and all of a sudden it's just like they ran into a brick wall with no hope. And that's, uh, I want to see more assistance for the small businesses and getting more jobs open. Now, once we get this this thing here straightened out where the governor is going to let people do they open up new businesses or reopen up their business they close and they will need help and not only them the poor farmers that's a big concern too in what way well they had they lost a lot of their crops another thing is that with the immigration which i also specialize in and losing a lot of the workers because they can't afford to pay them and then getting the people you know i i know how this works with with the migrant workers it's long long detailed but um the farmers are going to be hurting for help i have spoken with a couple of them and because some of the migrant people that were being brought for work they can't you know they can't get back into the country or whatever reason they're not able to return and that was one of the biggest things that i've been hearing from farmers is getting you know migrant labor and and, and but yet uh, it sounds like that's um contrary to what the president is trying to do with regard to immigration yeah i i know he's uh he's put a temporary a temporary uh a hold on the people with the they have the work permit but there's something up with the visa. But you've got, I, I understand this, that a lot of the migrant workers, the problem is a lot of the migrant workers don't even have any documents. And this is what's going, what's going to happen is farmers are either going to get forced into, they hire a contractor who brings the people. The contractor doesn't tell the farmer, you know, I've got 10 people working. They just make a deal how much money is going to get paid to get the crops picked then the contractor will bring in the people and maybe one or two out of them may not be legal, but the farmer doesn't know. And see, right now when these uh, contractors aren't able to get these workers that are undocumented, it is making it hard because the farmers aren't getting any help. 
and this is this is something that's been going on for a long time. I witnessed it firsthand when I was living in Florida. Did the so Supreme it, Court get it right last week on DACA? No, well, they're making him refile the paperwork, but I, when it comes to DACA, since I knew a lot of DACA children back when I was working and living in the migrant community in Florida, these kids that were brought over as babies and all they've ever known is our American culture and they've had our education, some have served in the military and so on and so forth. Now with them, I seriously believe that we need to work something out so that they could get their permanent status or citizenship, whatever. We need to get those ones taken care of. But I'm just saying for the DACA, not for the current undocumented people, but only for the DACA people. They would deserve it first. They they should be the ones first in line. People, that, as I understand it, the, the uh, people covered by DACA are... Uh, people who were brought here as young mm -hmm. children and, and lived yeah. most of their lives here really don't have a life anywhere but here and yeah. have worked and contributed and, and all of that. And they're, they're just looking for a way to, to be, um, to be able to uh, officially become citizens of the country and, that they feel right. is theirs. Right. And I, and I agree 100% with them. That's why I say they should be put, First in line, let's get them taken care of. Because they've been uh, active citizens, I mean, active members, vital members in the community. They've gotten educated. Like I said, they've served our country. Maybe some work in law enforcement. But it's impressive. They've done something, and they are an asset. They didn't, I mean, they didn't come walking over here intentionally illegally because they were brought over by force as a minor. Okay, so they shouldn't be punished. In my opinion, they should not be punished for it. But only these children that are under the DACA rule. Let's um, talk a little bit more about uh, things that are close to home. Um, you mentioned taxes as, as something that you're especially concerned about. But is there a particular issue that has you fighting for this seat? Well, one of the issues, one is not a local issue, but it would affect us all over the state, and that's with the governor sending a second request to Enbridge to shut down the pipeline because it got damaged again. And I think that is, that's something I'm fighting for, is to get the pipeline, get that tunnel done. And in this way, we don't have to worry about an environmental crisis or, you know, or for something to happen, get it done. And I don't understand why she's just going to stop it. And do an investigation, you know how long investigations will go on for. And that's one thing I'm fighting for. The other, the other thing here close to home I'm fighting for is we, uh, we have a lot of 501c3 animal rescue groups that go and uh, pick up animals off the street. Maybe they've been hit by a car, maybe they're just abandoned, whatever. I mean, not one of the groups that I know more about, They uh, 911 will actually call them to go and assist the police in picking up animals. Well, here's the thing. With the $8.2 million renovation that was done on the animal uh, control building, why won't they have people that will go and meet them at nighttime after hours to pick up these animals? So what happens is these 501c3 volunteers end up taking the animals home with them. So 
I told them what we're working on is Sherry. to find a way. Uh, Sherry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we have to take a break here for a couple of minutes. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? Of course. Okay. Uh, Sherry Cross is my guest. We'll Hi, be I'm right Alexander back. Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 